Hey, Meme Over Easy listeners, one of your co-hosts, Tanner, here. This episode is going to be a really fun one that we recorded live at the 2022 ACOP Spring Conference. This is actually the second part of a live session that we uh, were able to interact with our audience. It was really, really fun. Drew and myself were on stage with Christopher Colbert and Christina Giacomino, and we had a lot of fun. So get ready and enjoy this dive into some of our own irrational fears. All right. All right. So for the second part, we're going to switch gears a little bit, have a little bit of fun for the last 20 minutes or so before we, uh, we uh, all get out of here for lunch and hopefully some sun and beach and pool or afternoon sessions. <laughs> so something I dreamt up just a couple weeks ago is I mean a lot of stuff. I do. I've, I've been having nightmares. <laughs> um, they're dreams. Uh, doing a, a procedural sedation. So I have Drew Kelno in a rational fear of procedural sedations. I hate him. I absolutely hate them. I think they are the worst thing that we can possibly do in the emergency department. You take somebody who is breathing on their own with a perfectly fine, sometimes not fine, airway. Yes, they have something going on. They need a, they need a suture. They need a reduction. They need, And I give them medication then to bring them to the brink of death so I can take somebody who was doing fine before I gave them medications to try to do something that probably isn't going to kill them. Your delivery right now is very good. Just with a procedure that might kill them. And I hate it. I can run a code and my heart rate barely gets above 90, right? I do a procedural sedation and I'm tacking away in the 130s. My max heart rate, by the way, is like 170. So like 130 is getting up there, right? When I'm doing the Peloton, like zone four for me is 130s, right? If anyone knows. So this is, you know, and I, I mean, I am anal, right? About my setup. I have pharmacy there when they're available. I have respiratory in-house, you know, 20, in, in the ED 24 hours a day, and they are, they're that in their... Like nice ER to work Yeah, I know. I work in an nice ER. I, it's great. I usually have a resident and myself. So, like, there's lots of people. I have no reason to have this much of an irrational fear of procedural sedation. And yet, if there is anything I can do to avoid procedural sedation, and it doesn't matter the medication, right? I mean, ketamine, propofol, whatever else, I mean... Forget Atomidate for, no, 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 right? I mean, guys, help me process through this irrational fear. And tell me that you have irrational fears too. Uh, I mean, not that bad. I, I, you, you, you made, you're starting to make me nervous about procedural sedations all of a sudden. Like I, I was fine with them until all of a sudden you know, you're making it sound like we're about killing people, but we're not. Um, and I think... That would be the thing I would try to really latch on to, is knowing that because of your training and expertise and all the information you know, you have the ability and the setup to take care of them should something go wrong. And you've had that happen to you before? Oh, I mean, there's, there's two types of providers in this room. Those that have had a procedural sedation go bad and those that will have a procedural sedation go bad. Like, there's nobody in between, right? right? That is very true. I mean, very I mean, true. The worst procedural sedation I've ever had was a guy that had a trimal that, that I made go completely apneic for a very long period of time and still could not reduce the ankle. I mean, the only muscles in his body that were still working was the muscles around his left ankle preventing me from reducing it. And his heart. I mean, his heart was still beating, but he had no respiratory. I mean, to- how does that happen? Irrational fear. Um... This is a safe place. I'm going to say this. Um, <clears throat> I, was re- I was removing, as a resident, a bug from an ear, and I passed out. And um, resident passed out. It was like in the summertime. And the thing is, I don't know if anyone's ever passed out, but when you really pass out, you wake up and you say, what happened? 
Like, what happened? And not only did I pass out in front of the nurse, I passed out in front of the patient, the bug was still in the ear. <laughs> like, it, it was, thank you for laughing. That makes you feel very good. Let's, let's keep that up. Let's keep that up. This is a safe place. So, true story. So, I passed out. I was, I was a senior resident. And we have four years of residency training. I was a senior resident, passed out with the future chief. After that day, I never removed anything. True story from the ear. I, and I, I always say, hey, there's a, there's a foreign body in the ear, girl. I was talking to the resident, the foreign body, foreign body. So three, three weeks ago, I'm working the night shift. My resident is putting in a central line. It's one o'clock in the morning and this lady comes in and kicks the door in. It's bam, and she's like, oh my God, oh my God. You know, just like everything else, the person that runs in. So we go out to buy, she's screaming. She's got a bug in her ear. And I was like, <laughs> where is my, where is my resident? I, I'm literally putting on sterile so I can put in the central line so he can put the bug out. I'm not going to do it. And so I walk in and I was like, and, and I'm trying to be cool about it. And I walk in and say, Hey, Hey Rob, I'm, I'm going to need you to uh, step out with this pediatric patient. I'm going to do your central line. He's like, well, Dr. Corbett, I, I just, you know, he's got the ultrasound. He's like, Dr. Corbett, why? And I was like, you're right. You're right. I'm going to do it. So, <laughs> I literally go to the nurse and I have to be honest and I say, hey, look, I don't do this very well. I haven't taken a bug out of the ear since 2006. Was that also the last time you picked up an otoscope? Well, I mean, is it like that bad? You're like, I don't even, I don't even look. Like, I remember waking up and going, what happened? Like, you know, you're like that. And then there's nothing but nervous pee on the ground. It was just bad. It was just <laughs> bad. And then so I walk in, literally, I walk in with the nurse. I tell the nurse what happened. And so we walk in together. Okay, so we got a parent. All of us know when you have a parent with a concerned child, the stakes are high. I would rather take a drunk guy from a bar at two o'clock in the morning and says, go ahead, doc, do what you got to do. But now I've got a parent who's like, hey, what's going on? I've got something in my ear. The child is there and she's not worried about the child. She's just worried about what her ear is, but she's still, ah, I'm like, all right, cool. And so I'm holding, so I tell the nurse what's going on. I'm holding on to the nurse. And I, and I say, if you see me fall or just begin, just yank me, just yank. True story. And so I just looking into the ear and of course you see the legs moving. I'm like, oh man, finish the central line, finish the central line. I was so mad. I was so mad this dude. He had a poor evaluation that shift. So anyway, short story shorter, short story shorter, we ended up using the suction and so we lidocaine suction and um, I was like, it's, it's still in there. I, I can't, I, I don't see, I, I don't see anything. And I look, so the nurse is holding my coat and I look and part of the bug is in the container and I go, oh my God, I can't do this. <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Here's your discharge papers. I literally called ENT and said, hey, look, I, I tried. I can't get the bug out. Half of it's out. Can't part get of the it, bug part out. of it's gone. And that is how I cope with my fears this doesn't help anyone, but I feel better that I had this discussion. Thank you for listening. Thank you, everyone. But I mean, that fear is not irrational, though. But with the procedural sedation, stuff goes wrong, right? I don't it's think a good it's point. It's not irrational. Stop, stop Another not procedure. Fear. Another procedure. Look at that's two procedures. Good point. Two procedures. I two said procedures. irrational. Okay, it's I want irrational. irrational fears. I have an irrational fear. Give me one. I have an irrational fear of getting stuff on my shoes and the shift. And I've never, I've never actually had like a, that, like, you that's know. unrealistic. <laughs> exactly. Right. You, it's, but you, do you do emergency medicine? Yes, I do. <laughs> but like, if, 
if no one ever, no one's known this until now. Um, uh, but if you like watch me do like, you know, if you're doing an exam where you're in areas that may have stuff coming out, like my legs are so far apart and like, I am, I am more uncomfortable than the patient hands down because like I'm, I'm watching, waiting for anything and my feet will <laughs> pop up like, and every single time there's like a critical patient coming in, I'm, I'm in the back of my mind, I'm going, they got those booty things around here. <laughs> like, I, I don't even know if there's going to be blood or urine or vomit or anything, but I'm just going, hmm, maybe I should get rid of those, get those on. So yeah, I have this weird, irrational fear of getting stuff on my shoes and I don't know why. I don't think that's irrational. I don't think that's irrational. <laughs> again, I really, again, I, this is a support group right now. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling the love right now. <laughs> that's a very, ra- so, so maybe the definition is fears we think are irrational and other people are like, no, nah, that's normal. <laughs> there we go. There we go. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll buy that. I'll buy that. We need to accept our fears yes. and embrace them, right? And let them drive us forward, right? Well, because I mean, if you're, if you're, if you're scared about procedurization, you're probably super prepared for them, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. Because I mean, of this fear. Probably more than if probably, anyone, I'm not if a anyone scared, wants I probably to talk about be. best practice and procedural sedation, I got it, right? Like, like I, and I, it's called the OR. You were prepared, but you were prepared. You were prepared and you were prepared as well. The leg stamps, yeah. prepared. You know where your booties are. In the you made sure that everything was there if they coded, and I had a nurse keeping me up. No, I do, I do have to I do share a story about my favorite procedural sedation, not, not the guy that went apneic. So I was working at our, our, it's not technically a standalone ED, if anyone from Ohio Health is listening, I realize it is, it is called a hospital. It's a micro. No, 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 no don't. Okay. Only provider in-house at night, right? There, I have nur- two nurses, I have a respiratory therapist, and I think at this point the pharmacist may or may, there's the pharmacist upstairs in the quote-unquote hospital, but the ED pharmacist has left. The guy comes in, he's, he's been drinking. Uh, he's drunk, but he's very pleasantly drunk. And there's, um, near where the hospital is, there's a, a campground with a river, and it's not all that deep. Um, but this dude per- decided to dive into the one part that is the least deep. Like, his friends to the right and his friends to the left all made it in, and he, he did only, like, this deep because then his shoulder comes out, right? So he's drunk. Propofol is not a good medication, right, for a drunk person to do procedural sedation. His shoulder is very dislocated. Well, I, ketamine. I mean, that's it, right? I mean, ketamine's great. The problem with ketamine, as we all know, is sometimes people don't relax with ketamine. I mean, you sedate them, but they don't relax. So this guy goes from being pretty relaxed with alcohol, but not enough that I can uh, uh, reduce his shoulder, to every muscle in his body contracting. In fact, he was doing a yoga power V. <laughs> But conveniently, he auto-reduced himself in the process of doing the yoga <laughs> power beat. So, and then he was so enamored by the pulse ox on his finger, and I apologize, I'm not flicking off anyone in the audience. For the next 20 minutes, he sat there in his yoga power V, showing everybody exactly how he felt about our procedural sedation. Maybe next time, just more alcohol, sort of ketamine. Just yeah, isn't there an order it. for that? Just keep feeding them until... <laughs> A couple more years before, before the shoulders just bounce back in. Um, someone had their, someone had their hand, up. Had their hand up over there. Do you want me to bring the mic over there? Shoe, shoe, story. Come on, come on, shoe story. So it's a $150 pair, pair of running shoes. Just bought them. Oh, yeah. So the PA goes into a room, and he comes out, and he's white as a ghost. And he says, you got to go in this room. I go in the room. The woman's having abdominal pain every three minutes. And, yep, this is my but, nightmare. But I'm not pregnant, you know. So I take a look, 
and I see a butt. So it's a breech <laughs> baby. And of course, it's coming right now. So deliver that. And guess what happened to my brand new tennis shoes? Sloshed up against the wall, all over my shoes, completely bummed out. And one of our OB always wore those galoshes. In fact, when he retired, we got him, we, we called him the golden galoshes for his retirement party. But anyway, I had to share that shoe story after you shared that with me because I too am very protective of my shoes. So if you can deliver a baby breach and the only thing you're worried about are your shoes, you're my hero. Yeah. <laughs> you are my hero. <laughs> We're not worthy. <laughs> that is my, the, because my, my, my shoes I wouldn't be concerned about. I would be concerned about my scrubs if I have a <laughs> That's a great point. Like, I'm 100% focused on her shoes, that whole story. And then it's like, oh, yeah, it was a breach baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> Did the baby do okay? <laughs> you're my hero. My, my solution to shoes, though, is, I mean, I, I buy expensive running shoes, too, but I run 300-plus miles in them, and then I wear them at work, so I don't care if they get recycled shoes, right? Multi-purpose use. What else? Anyone else have an irrational fear they want to share with us now that we have? Yeah, please. And, and make it, please make it really irrational so I feel better about myself. So I have an irrational fear of epistaxis because... <laughs> 10 years ago, I had two patients with a posterior bleed, and I was going in and doing the usual stuff. One was on Coumadin. I go to put in the, the, um, you know, the proper stuff, the tampon and all that, and he goes into flash pulmonary edema, and he can't breathe, and I can't fix him. So now I have an uncontrolled bleed, and he can't breathe, and I have to tube him, and I'm trying to tube him, and... I can't see anything in the airway. And this was before we had all this nice stuff that we have now to tube them. And I'm trying to suction them. So now I have to call the other doc to help me suction them. And now he's trying to suction. I'm trying to see. Now my arm is doing this because I'm holding it up for so long. And now I just simply can't. Now I got a nurse holding onto my hand. All of us holding up the laryngoscope to try to get him intubated. I finally got him intubated. And I was like, oh, dear God. And then, like, two weeks later, the same thing happened. <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God. And my PA looks at me and goes, you are never seeing another nosebleed ever in your career. And we worked together for 15 years, me and that PA. And every time a nosebleed comes in, he goes... <laughs> I got it. I got the nosebleed. <laughs> and it never happened to me again. But I still have this irrational fear of, oh, dear God, please don't go into flash pulmonary deep. <laughs> please. That's awesome. You know, my, my solution to fixing that is when Epistaxis would check in in the lobby, I would just put a note on the Epic board that it doesn't come to my pod. <laughs> right? I'd be like, nope, green pod. Nope, 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 nope. That's not irrational, by the way. That's... That's legit. All of these are rational. Re yeah. I'm the only one with a true irrational fear, apparently. <laughs> we're, we're basically finding out that irrational is just a horrible word. It's not even real. Okay. Anyone else? These are awesome. I don't, I don't know if this is necessarily irrational, but probably for about the last 10 years, when I work nights, our shifts are 9 p.m. to 6 a.m., I will do, even if I get out on time, which is rare, even if I'm home in bed by 7 o'clock, Every time I work a post-night shift, I wake up at 9.30 on the dot with this recurring dream that I left somebody in the ER that my partner doesn't know about who I signed out to. They're calling in, in this dream. They're calling me like, 
what the hell is wrong with you? You left, nobody knows anything about this guy. There's no orders written. Nobody knows what's wrong with him. Did you just leave and sign? I'm not wake up like, what the hell? Oh, never mind. <clears throat> Go right back to sleep. <laughs> it's the, it always happens after night shift. Never after day, but after night. And I, my wife's like, why are you waking up at 930 every morning? She's like, I don't know, but I don't really need an alarm clock post nights. I wake up at the same time every shift. I mean, when this conference is over, I go, I get home late Wednesday night. I'm working Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, 9 p to 6 a. So every day after that, I'm going to be waking up at 9.30. I'm like, might as well get some coffee while I'm up or just go back to sleep. But it's the same same thing. It's like, I'm like, is this really irrational or am I just having the same dream? It was very reassuring to me to give you some confidence, Drew. One of my partners who's no longer with us, she moved out of state. She said, oh, that happens to me too. I thought I was just nuts like everybody else. <laughs> And the morning doc actually is still cursing you out because when the nurse comes up to him and goes, hey, what about those three patients on the other pod that you didn't sign out? So, yeah, we got you. <laughs> so the common element in all these items is fear. Where does that fear come from? What is the common element of the fear? What? Yeah, I mean, insects no. are gross. Six, no. six legs and an excellent Whether it's insects or I don't nosebleed like dead or, I don't know or dreams or shoes or... What's the fear? Where does that come from? It probably comes from a lot of different places, I would guess. It, Whether it's it, a bad previous experience or... The common element throughout most of humanity is that we are not acceptable and we're not good enough. And you got to put it somewhere, right? So we put it in our shoes. <laughs> sure. We put it in bugs in the ear and we put it in a procedure that we know is perfectly fine to do. Exactly. Thousands of times a day across the United States. Sure. Because you know what? I can't be fearful. Because yes. I can't be fearful when it really matters. And, and see, the thing of it is, is that the fear is that we will be exposed as not being good enough for the job that we're doing. And on any given moment in the emergency room, who is the most capable person there? It's usually my partner. You are. <laughs> on the other side of the You are. Okay. I you are. Who's going to be the best at intubation or starting lines or even pulling the bug out if you have to? Okay? You're going to do your job whether you get crap on your shoes or not. Okay? And what happens is that as an individual in the room, okay, you're the most highly trained. You are the most acceptable. Okay? And at the end of the day, people are going to respect you for what you do. And we all have holes of fear in, in our personal performance that we're concerned about and we think those are weak, okay? At the same time, that's what generates our fear. And we just need to back up and say, you know what, we're acceptable, okay? We do a good job most of the time. And push comes to shove for those awkward, fearful moments, we'll step up, we take a deep breath and we do the best we can do. Wow. That's, That's two episodes in a row that he's going to close us out with some amazing <laughs> closing thoughts. Like, that's fantastic. Do you want to be on a full podcast episode one time? Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> he's just sit here. <laughs> well, uh, we're getting close to that time anyways, and I know everyone's probably itching to get out and do, get some food and whatnot. So if you liked what you saw today, if you liked what you heard, please check out our, uh, our podcast, our website. Um, we're, we're readily available for all kinds of things. We enjoy these kind of discussions. We're, our hashtag is more than medicine. To be a good doctor, to be a good emergency medicine 
person. You have to have more than just the knowledge. You have to be able to have that emotional intelligence, the stuff that goes into being more than medicine. Uh, thank you so much. That's all I got. Good time. Yeah.